You're listening to Inside Lebo, a podcast giving you an inside look at Mount Lebanon, Pennsylvania, hosted by Assistant Municipal Manager and Municipal Planner Ian McMeans and Assistant Public Information Officer and Online Editor Stephanie Hackey. Hello and welcome back to Inside Lebo. I'm your host, Assistant Municipal Manager and Municipal Planner Ian McMeans. And I'm Assistant Public Information Officer and Online Editor Stephanie Hackey. Welcome back to the show, everyone. The weather's getting warmer. It's nice. You can go outside again. And it's pool season. And a few episodes back, we talked with Recreation Director David Donellen about the municipal pool and how to get pool passes and when the public pool is open. We're here today with our inspections office folks to talk about private pools and what you need to do if you have a private pool on your property. Yes, so welcome to Rodney Sarver. He is Mount Lebanon's Chief Inspector and Zoning Officer, and Josh Meyer, who is a Building Inspector. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for being here. We really appreciate it. So let's talk about pools. Again, I love pools, so I'm really excited about this one. (laughs) Um, So do you have to have a permit for a pool in Mount Lebanon, and why? So you do. Um, In 2004, whenever the state adopted the statewide building code, Uh, the building code at that time implemented pool regulations for building permit requirements. So starting in 2004, building permits were required for swimming pools. However, Mount Lebanon prior to that, going back into the early 60s, always had regulations dealing with annual pool permits. And we can talk about that Yeah, what's the difference between a building permit and an annual pool permit then? So a building permit basically regulates the construction and the layout of the pool, including the pool barrier and all safety devices for that. Uh, The intent of the code is basically to provide life safety uh, for the code. So obviously children do not enter into a pool area and, you know, are subject to drowning uh, near a pool. So there's a lot of safety provisions within the pool code and most recently the last two episodes of the code uh, they took it out of the appendix of the actual residential code and they put it in its own code so it's now known as the international swimming pool and spa code so it not only covers swimming pool but also hot tubs and spas that's good to know because i know there's probably a lot of people that have hot tubs and spas there too that would also we don't need a permit yeah, or we, need yeah we do find them from time to time that put them in without a permit so if you're thinking about putting in not only a pool but also a hot tub or a spa you need to contact the inspections office to get a permit um, so is the permit just for then in-ground pools or does above ground pools also need a permit so if you if you read the code the actual scope of the code says the, the pool and spas covered by this code are either permanent or temporary and shall only be those that are designed or and manufactured to be connected to a circulation system and that are intended for swimming, bathing, or wading. So does so that if count you, like a little kiddie pool no, kind of so thing? so if it doesn't have a pump to it, okay. uh, it doesn't count as a swimming pool. Uh, in the legislation that adopted the statewide code, they added language that basically said that if it can hold less than 24 inches of water, it's not a swimming pool. So going back to your question about kiddie pools, if it doesn't have a circulation system on it or built into it, and it holds less than 24 inches of water, it's not considered a swimming pool. Therefore, you don't need a permit for it. You can just do it in your backyard and not worry about it. But if it holds over 24 inches of water, 
and it does have a circulation system, then you would need a building permit for it. So even if it's a temporary, you just put it up in your backyard that summer and have the filter running and then take it down for the winter. I, I had one of those growing up. Um, <laughs> yeah, we actually issued temporary swimming pool permits. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. Okay. So now you talked about the building permit. Talk to me about the permit, the annual permit that's required in Mount Lebanon. So the annual permit is basically, it's designed uh, for the, basically, to make sure that you have the safety device and you maintain and operate the pool in a safe fashion. So annually, usually uh, middle of May, uh, we will send out the pool letters. Matter of fact, they were just sent out today. Uh, I know a stack of them were. Uh, we notify the, uh, the owners of the pools uh, that they send in a permit fee, an annual permit fee, um, and then our code enforcement office will, will set up an inspection with them, and they go out and they basically inspect every pool, every single family residential pool in Mount Lebanon for these safety devices and for general compliance. Um, and then basically if it passes, they're good. If it doesn't pass, they'll advise them of what they need to do to correct it. That's awesome. So it sounds like we go a step above and beyond what the state is requiring even then. Is that correct? Correct. And this has been since the 60s? Correct, for the, the local ordinance. Yeah. Why did they adopt it back then? Was there a reason? Do you know? I have no idea. I would assume <laughs> it was just for general safety. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. That's one of those interesting historical tidbits, though, that Mount Lebanon passed pool regulations back in the 1960s, and the state didn't adopt them until the early 2000s, so we were kind of 40 years ahead of the curve. Right. Amazing. Yeah. So talk to us about the, the permit applications then. How do you get a permit application, or do you send those out to folks whenever you know they have a pool? Well, we get a lot of phone calls uh, about pools. Josh, he put together handouts, so I'll let him talk about that. Yeah, so uh, for a building permit for a residential swimming pool, um, if you're installing something new, uh, it, it is a building permit application. So on our website, we have a residential building permit application. Uh, and I did generate a handout uh, just for general informational purposes that'll be available on the website. If it's not now, it will be soon. Um, but the residential building permit application, and then we'll need two copies of your property survey, basically to show where it is on a property showing zoning compliance. Um, and that should be a two-scale property survey, and, and uh, which means it's, it's printed on the paper. It's meant to be printed on. It shouldn't be reduced, so we know exactly where the swimming pool is. Um, then uh, as far as the pool itself, details or drawings on the pool, what type of pool it is, whether it's above ground or in ground, and then uh, some general requirements about the barrier, what type of barrier you're putting in, um, and how that is compliant with the code. And the barriers could be pretty complicated. It could be a fence. It could be for in-ground pools. It could be a um, uh, what they call a powered safety cover. Um, part of your home can serve as the barrier in, in instances. Uh, it, it, the code gets very complicated with the barrier. So, um, But as far as actually applying for it, we're looking for barrier compliance. We're looking for the pool compliance, where it is on your property, and a residential building permit application. What is the reason behind the barrier? Is that the safety, you know, kids not getting in, things of that nature? Yeah, correct. That, yeah, correct. I mean, it, it, and it's different because we get a lot of questions and people applying for new pool, new pool permits uh, that say, well, I have an existing fence. Doesn't that count as a barrier? And sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, the easiest rule of thumb for barriers is 
it's basically to prevent a child from climbing into the pool area. Um, so if it's made up of a fence-type structure, um, it regulates the opening size so that a child's toe uh, or a foothold, they call it, or a finger hold, uh, that they can't climb over that barrier. And then if, as Josh mentioned about the wall of the, the home acting as part of the barrier, it requires alarms on the doors and windows. Wow. Um, so that if some kid does not climb through a door or climb through a window, uh, and not noticed so an alarm would go off basically telling the occupants that somebody entered the pool area oh wow that's really awesome actually <laughs> as a parent I'm thinking oh my god I would yeah. love this if I had a pool I would I would really want this for sure definitely so um, and I'm laughing as you guys kind of talk about you know kids climbing things so I'm like whoever wrote the code never met my kids because they can <laughs> climb anything <laughs> climb the walls of my house um, <laughs> so once you get the pool permit you said it's an annual the obviously there's the building code one you have to get when you install a new one you have to get the building permit for construction but then every year we do an annual permit as well just it's a safety check through our building inspection and code enforcement office that's correct yes okay yeah so we won't charge you an annual pool permit for a brand new pool that first year but after it's finaled, if mm -hmm. it's finaled, you know, the previous year, we'll issue you an annual permit the following year. Gotcha. And how many of those permits do you guys issue every year? Uh, annual permits? Yeah. I believe there's... I think there's 260-ish wow. around yeah. there. That's yeah. a lot of pools. That's a lot it of is. Yeah. That's a lot of work for your department, too, to go out and inspect all those, because I'm sure everyone wants to try and open the Memorial Day weekend or right around there, too, right. so I'm sure you're yes. in inundated with calls. When do you actually have to have the permit by then? Is it before you open your pool every year that you have to have the permit ready? No, you don't have to have it or you don't have to have the permit in hand before you open it. You should pay for the permit and then we come out and do those inspections once the permit's paid for. Okay. Because part of the application when you submit the payment is whether or not you choose to open up your pool that year. There are some residents that choose not to open up their pool. And therefore, we won't do an annual inspection and you don't have to pay for an annual permit if you don't open it gotcha that's good that to know sense. so i think we're going to take a short break here and we'll be back with more information on residential pools Welcome back to Inside Lebo. We're here with Rodney Sarver and Josh Meyer from our building inspection office talking about residential pools. So you mentioned earlier uh, about fences that you're required to have a fence for safety purposes to keep children out. Um, and you said you can use your house as a barrier. Is there anything else you can use as a barrier? Obviously we're Mount Lebanon, not flat Lebanon. So, you know, we have some topography here in the community. Can you use hillsides and slopes as a barrier or does that have to be fenced as well? There are regulations in the code that allow for natural topography to serve as a barrier. Um, things that are, are, are high enough and uh, not climbable uh, is, is the gist of what the code is asking for. Um, but yeah, it, 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 usually the quickest solution to a barrier is some sort of fence mm -hmm. abutting the house. But there are other regulations that allow for those things as, as natural topography and things, yes. And the key thing is that there's tighter regulations for a pool barrier than there are for a typical fence. Uh, like I said earlier about the footholds and handholds, uh, you know, obviously it's tighter. The space or the horizontal, the spacing between the horizontal members of the fence or the barrier, if they're tighter together, 
then the space between the vertical members have to be closer. Uh, if they're further apart, then you can have a typical four inch wide opening, just like you would on a guardrail for a deck or something. Mm -hmm. So we run into a lot of problems where contractors will put decks next to poles and construct it like they're constructing a typical guardrail for so somebody doesn't fall off of a deck or an elevated surface but that doesn't necessarily mean that it will meet the pull barrier requirements so it's a fine line there to make make sure that everything is matched up correctly gotcha what about slides are you allowed to have slides to go into your pool you can as long as basically it's inside that pool barrier requirement okay so again it, most recently in the last two editions of the code they have allowed a uh, powered safety cover uh, that is recently allowed so a lot of people most recently and I think you would agree Josh that we see more and more in-ground pools that people apply for permits that are putting automatic power safety covers on so when the pool is not in use the, the pool cover automatically closes over top of the water mm -hmm. so that it, even if a child is in the area they don't fall into it that would exempt you from an actual fence barrier or you know a pool barrier interesting yeah the powered safety cover really reduces the amount of additional barrier requirements there are uh, for the property so if you have the powered safety cover for your installing the powered safety cover you may not need to do a, a fence barrier as well or, mm -hmm. or similar um, I do see a lot of those when I go out for inspections a lot of people are putting powered safety covers on and still installing a fence just because they like to have it enclosed so and, and, and it's the same requirement for a locking safety cover on a hot tub mm -hmm. so technically if it has a circulation system which most hot tubs do and you hold more than 24 inches of water you have to have a barrier around the hot tub as well but the exemption was a lockable safety cover which most hot tubs come with mm -hmm. so the pool the pool aspect of it caught up with the hot tub aspect of it as far as providing a safety cover so there are a lot of ways then that you can um, provide a barrier to this pool then it's not just one simple hey a five foot fence or whatnot there are a lot of different requirements yeah for the typical roll thumb is 48 inches okay so you need a 48 inch high barrier so the pool itself for above ground poles if it's a sheer wall pool and it's higher than 48 inches and the pool manufacturer allows the side of their pools to be used as a barrier then it can be used as a barrier uh, you can use a, a chain link fence that's four foot high the, the problem with chain link fence is most of the openings are bigger than inch and three quarters and that's the maximum opening allowed in a, in a chain link fence again for that foothold and handhold for right. small children to climb up. yeah your common chain link fence that you would see is two and a quarter inch gap and to meet a pull barrier requirement the maximum is inch and three quarter oh wow so it would have to be a special fence then yeah pretty much it, to a lot of the pull or fence manufacturers that install fences they they, they call it a pull barrier fence making it easy for the folks who are looking to buy one then right sure <laughs> put it right in the name i would need that um so you know obviously we hope all of our residents follow these rules but i'm sure sometimes you have someone who doesn't what happens if someone doesn't apply for that annual permit and still opens their pool well um again if we do not get a payment back or an application saying that they are or are not opening the pool uh, then we will still do an inspection just to see where it's at if they are then they would get a violation notice if they ignore the violation notice then ultimately it could lead to a citation um, but 
the vast majority will comply so have you ever had to go in and drain a pool because someone wouldn't listen no we haven't uh, under the the annual pool permit uh, ordinance uh, we do have the right to basically take actions for a life safety issue so for example uh, I could just think of if somebody was deceased and they had a, a pool with water in it we could probably go in and take actions to make sure that either the water is drained or that there was some type of cover over it that makes sense gives you a lot of power for sure <laughs> so as part of your annual inspection when you go out and look at all 200 plus pools in the community um, are there certain safety things that you're looking for as part of that inspection yeah so we including into the application for the annual permit we also include a list of all the safety devices that you need and some of the examples of the safety device is a, a throw ring it's 18 inches in diameter at least quarter inch rope um, that rope should be long enough to go diagonally halfway across the diagonal length of the pole uh, for in grounds or at least halfway across the round pole uh, so that you can reach somebody that might be in the pool that needs assistance. Um, it also requires that you have a, um, like a strong pole with either a shepherd's hook or a blunted end so that you can lend somebody assistance if they are struggling, that you can extend that pole out and pull them closer to the side. Um, we also do maintenance checks as far as how they're storing their chemicals and, and, and we look at their barriers, their existing barriers, because barriers do wear out. You know, the wind comes along or a tree takes a part of it out. Um, the biggest problem that we have is the self-latching gates and the fact that the gates have to swing away from the pools. And the reason for that is they don't want a child pushing onto a gate and being able to push it inward. Mm -hmm. So if it, if it swings out, they can't, no matter what, no matter how they push on it, they can't open the gate. So uh, those are two of the requirements that basically we look at for all the pools as part of the annual inspection and I will point out on the barrier for the safety inspection uh, we look at the barrier at in compliance with the time it was actually built the pool so if the barrier requirement is as strict as it is now but the pool was installed in the 80s the requirements may be a little bit less in the 80s so we're looking at the barrier as if when it was installed to make sure it's in good condition and basically it complied it's the same as what it was when it was installed so those requirements change over the years is that correct uh, they they have changed over the years uh like i said in 2004 it was the first one it was in in the appendix g of the 2003 international residential code um, and they have changed so um, that's why josh mentioned that and we have a spreadsheet that we use for the pools that uh, the inspectors now they, when they go out to a certain address they know when that pool permit was issued therefore they can determine whether or not it needed to meet a certain requirement oh that's great yeah. for sure gotcha so you mentioned um, chemicals and obviously other pool maintenance items are there any regulations on like what kind of chemicals you can use in your pool or what um, you know maintenance you have to do on a pool throughout the year just to have to comp basically maintain it to a, an extent where it's clean and, and, and healthy state. Um, the county regulations, the county health department, they basically consider any water that comes in contact with the human body as considered gray water. So you can't, you should not discharge your pool water 
into the street or into a, onto your property or into a neighboring property, it should be disposed of through the sanitary sewer system because technically it's gray water and it come in contact with the human body. So if you drain your water from the pool, it should go into the sanitary sewer. So we tell people sometimes run it into your fresh air vent uh, or if you have a nearby sanitary manhole, you can drain it into that. But you know, most of the time you don't have to drain. Yeah, me personally from experience, I own a pool um, and a lot of times you get evaporation so you're adding water rather than draining it. Mm -hmm. Right makes sense and then um, obviously the county health department has rules about stagnant water too with mosquitoes and all that that you have to be cognizant of even for the kitty size pools that you don't just leave correct and that's one of the reasons why we go back as part of the pool in annual pool inspection is if they don't send in their permit fee and application stating whether or not they're opening or keeping it closed that year the reason we still go out is to make sure that for some reason, uh, if if it's a vacant or abandoned, that there's no stagnant water in there that would cause a mosquito problem, and then we can take appropriate actions under our uh, health safety ordinance to basically eliminate that stagnant water condition. Gotcha. That makes sense. Well, thank you guys very much for joining us today. This was very edifying. Um, any final thoughts or anything you know takeaways that people really need to know about their residential pools that we didn't cover? Uh, really, if you have any questions, just give our office a call. We're, we're happy to answer any questions for, for installing new pools or anything involving the annual safety inspection. So. And what's that phone number again? 412-343-3408. Awesome. Yeah, give them a call. They're willing to answer any questions. I think Absolutely. We, I think you said that last time as well. You're willing to talk to our residents if they have any yeah, questions. Yeah, we'd much rather you know solve a problem before it actually happens. That way it doesn't cost you any money. Yeah. Well, thank you both so much for being on this show. That's it for this installment of Inside Lebo, produced by Carrie Monyo, with music by Drew Monyo, and graphics by Chris Leeper. We'll be back in a few weeks with another episode of Inside Lebo. Thanks for listening to Inside Lebo, produced by Mount Lebanon's Public Information Office. Learn more about all things Lebo at mountlebanon.org or by following our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages.